0: Hey guys, Dr. Cassie here. Thanks for tuning in to Vetfolio Voice. Today, we're excited to bring you a special edition podcast in conjunction with NABC's advocacy platform, Embrace. In this episode, our Embrace team speaks with Dr. Kent McClure, Chief Government Relations Officer for the American Veterinary Medical Association. They'll talk about the process of a bill becoming a law, how to introduce yourself to a new set of legislators, and what the AVMA's Congressional Advocacy Network is up to. Not only does Dr. McClure have over 20 years of experience advocating on policy issues important to veterinary medicine and veterinary practice, he's also a veterinarian and a lawyer. Talk about impressive. Now I'm gonna hand it over to my colleague, Brandon Fuller, to get into the discussion.
1: Thank you, Dr. Cassie, and thank you so much, Dr. McClure, for joining us today. There is a lot of interest in the topic of advocacy among veterinary professionals, so again, Thank you for being here and sharing your insights and expertise. So, if you could just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and AVMA's advocacy efforts as a whole, what is the range of issues that AVMA advocates for or against, and how AVMA chooses those issues?
2: Sure. Thanks. I'm I'm glad to be here today. I lead the AVMA federal and state advocacy team and I work out of the AVMA's uh, Washington DC office. I uh, graduated from veterinary school from Texas A&M and went into small animal practice. After a few years, I decided to go back to law school and I graduated with a legal degree from the University of Texas. I uh, practiced law for a while doing uh, medical malpractice defense for about every kind of healthcare provider imaginable. And a little over 20 years ago, I moved to the Washington DC area and I've been uh, advocating on policies that, that impact veterinary medicine for, for that entire time. You, you asked about the, uh, the issues that the AVMA works on. And I'll probably say this several times today, but the AVMA is, is absolutely nonpartisan. And we work on veterinary issues. We stay out of the divisive macro-political issues of the day. And that's it's actually a core strength that served us well over time. We're going we're gonna to work directly at the federal level with members of Congress or federal agencies. At the state level, we play a more supportive role with uh, as a partner with the state veterinary associations or other associations. And we also file briefs in uh, selected court cases that could have high impact for the veterinary profession. Now, the, the way I like to talk about the issues is, is I say that if, if a veterinarian uses drugs, biologics, or pesticides in the treatment of their patients, if they use compounded preparations, they care about food safety or animal welfare, if they run a small business, if they want funding for animal research on animal diseases or preparedness for disease outbreaks, then we work on issues they care about. And that's not an exhaustive list. Uh, an example of things that that would be astray would be the pandemic. No one saw that coming. And yet, once that hit, we became very active on the measures to support the profession, including things like that we were instrumental in shaping and improving the paycheck protection program which we know that about 60% of veterinary practices took and supported over 200,000 veterinary uh, sector jobs we were active on you know pausing the federal student student loan payments and interest accrual those kinds of things. And I'm sure we'll talk more about specific issues in a bit. But you know, we if you think about how do we choose issues, uh, we go about doing that by first you have to identify the issue. And that may happen through the AVMA staff or through our membership or state associations or local associations. Once, once we have an issue identified, we're gonna then gonna work to gather input from across the, the breadth of the profession. And that might be through volunteers, through individual members providing their input, or through the the other associations that are in our House of Delegates. And as we get that, it's really important because what we find sometimes is that one part of the profession wants to take a position on an issue, and yet another part of the profession will say, wait a minute, you don't understand how that's going to impact us over here. So we try to have that understanding and pull that all together and that gets presented to our legislative advisory committee. They evaluate all of that. And, and that, that committee is composed of representatives from across the scope of the profession. And then they make recommendations to the AVMA board of directors on the specific positions to take. That sounds like a lot, but we can actually move very quickly when we need to. And then, you know, once, of course, once you have that position from an advocacy standpoint, there's a whole lot of work to do after that. And then we'll work on formulating the strategy strategy. Trying to, to uh, explain why that's a good public policy or a bad public policy, and then that strategy, of course, is going to take into account the, the the
1: political viability of the issue and the politics of the day. Yeah, that's actually interesting. You're talking about, you know, once you've made that decision about what policies you're going to support or the organization is going to support or oppose, then it's turning to the actual legislative process and understanding the strategy. Uh, as it applies there. So I know our listeners are curious about policymaking and advocacy, but for most of them, their understanding of how a bill becomes a law is confined to what they learned in school, which is not always the, the true way that's, that policies become the laws of the land. Would you mind just sort of painting a picture of the various ways that policies really become the law and the moments when veterinary health professionals can help influence the policies?
2: You know, everybody's heard of the the Schoolhouse Rock video, I'm Just a Bill, and and I'm not going to sing it, so you don't have to worry. But that's actually a good refresher and and gives you an overview of of the process on how it moves through committees and through uh, one chamber and over to the other. At the state level, that can move very quickly, and at the federal level, that can take a long time. But what, what we didn't really learn about in school, though, is that there's so much more to it than that. Uh, in terms of influencing the outcome. And it, it's it's the edu- educational effort, excuse me, to, to make sure that members of Congress, their staff, and the staff of the right committees understand why something is either good public policy or bad public policy that makes the difference in mo- most cases. Uh, that's accomplished in a variety of ways and a variety of points. Uh, those Those bills, they get introduced, they get assigned to a committee down to a subcommittee, There's members of those committees that will interact with their staff. There may be a hearing in that subcommittee. Uh, There may be a markup and it may go up to the full committee level and then out to the one chamber and over to the other where the whole process starts all over again. And then there may be some sort of conference committee at the end of the day. And the reason I say it that way is that every one of those points where it stops along the way is an opportunity to influence it, to push it forward or to try to hold it back. And so, That's why people that are uh, participating, for example, in the AVMA Congressional Advocacy Network, uh, we may have an issue where they get four or five touch points on the same bill in a Congress saying you need to let people know our views on this topic. And it's 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 there's a reason behind that. And it's we're trying to touch at different points along that way. So if you get multiple action alerts to go do something, it's important to do that because there's a reason that it's being sent out a second time. And so even if it's, like I said, six months or nine months later, this
1: could take a course during the span of a two-year Congress, be important to act on those. Yeah, you mentioned um, AVMA's Congressional Advocacy Network. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about how they can get involved in that and what you see as the benefits of grassroots advocacy programs like CAN and Embrace? You know,
2: first I'll give the, the, the plug. It's AVMACAN.AVMA.org and the AVMA Congressional Advocacy Network, it's it's a it facilitates grassroots interactions. It's a tool that connects veterinarians with their members of Congress. It, uh, e- it's easy to use. It helps veterinarians readily identify their members of Congress and uh, provides them with information about issues. Through that, we will send out alerts when the time's right to help and uh, because it's that amplification of the voice. Uh, that can make the difference. And so it's it's amplifying the voice, but it's also the timing of when we do that that's important. So as part of our strategy, we'll send out that alert on now's the time to to weigh in, and uh, there'll be a, uh, a framework in there that's very easy to use and access. But what's important is there's also the ability to personalize it, and that's critical. If a member of Congress gets a thousand emails and they all look exactly the same, They're easy to push to the side, but if if they get a thousand emails and each one tells an individual story, they may all be on the same theme and the same bill, but if they tell an individual story, then they can have a tremendous impact. And so, like, like I said, mobilizing thousands of veterinarians at the same time to weigh in on the same issue can help tremendously. It amplifies the veterinary voice and it makes our efforts on the Hill so much more effective.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. So the veterinary health profession, it's a relatively small network of professionals when compared to our human health counterparts. However, many policies impacting human health professionals also impact our work. So how do we make sure our voice doesn't get overlooked? Well, you're right.
2: The veterinary profession is small. Um, And when I talk to audiences, what I like to say is that the veterinary profession is small, but we have a disproportionately large and positive impact on society. And it's because of that that veterinarians are so well respected and we have it can have a tremendous influence when when we are addressing veterinary issues. You know, the AVMA has an entire team of professionals to make sure that the veterinary voice is heard. And and what's what's important here is for the individual veterinarians, they don't have to put in that amount of time and effort. They can help weigh in at particular points along the way to help punctuate those efforts and to make them that much more effective. Um, And they can do that by being active with the, the AVMA or their state or local association, signing up for the CAN like we talked about, those kinds of things. But even more importantly, what they need to do is they need to make sure that their colleagues understand why it's so important to be involved. And you know, uh, the, the last part of your question about, you know, the policies that impact human health professionals, that's that's actually a, a really big deal and it's something that I think uh, some of my colleagues don't don't always think about, but Congress often thinks about human health care and human health care policy. And they often write laws. And at the time, they're focused on the delivery of human health care. And so at that time, they're not thinking about veterinary medicine. But then they'll come in and they'll use very broad language using statutorily defined terms like drug, which would pick up both human and animal drugs, or practitioner, which can be defined in different places to include, to also include veterinarians. Or they they may use registrant or words like that. So part of what we do is make sure that we we make sure that we are aware of that let those pieces of legislation and we make sure that those offices understand, hey, this could have a bad ripple effect over here for veterinary medicine. You didn't intend to pick us up and we need to be out of this. Um, and that's one of the essential functions that we
1: carry for the profession. Yeah, no, that's that's a really great point. You know, as you were speaking earlier about trying to encourage colleagues to be involved in these kinds of programs as well. Sometimes a barrier is that people don't necessarily believe that their voice can make a difference. Can you think of specific instances where grassroots advocacy among veterinary health professionals help to influence a particular piece of legislation or policy?
2: Yes, and, and, and before I do that, I, I wanna stress that those individual voices collectively, when we're speaking from the same perspective on an issue can have a tremendous impact on an issue. These offices want to hear from their constituents. And when they hear from a constituent that's actually knowledgeable and practicing in a profession that's relevant to a topic, it carries even that much more weight. One example I would give you is the Veterinary Medicine Mobility Act. There was a time when the DEA decided to enforce a restrictive provision in the Controlled Substances Act, and they started to prevent veterinarians from transporting and dispensing controlled substances at locations that were away from their registered facility. Uh, Veterinarians had been doing this for a long time, taking care of their patients, and so it it was obvious that that needed to be changed. Um, And so uh, the AVMA, we worked very hard with members of Congress to come up with a legislative fix and get the bill introduced. We devised that strategy that I talked about, about how to set that up for the right time. And then we activated uh, an alert through the AVMACAN network. And we literally had tens of thousands of veterinarians contact their members of Congress in an extremely short period of time, telling them why it was so critical that this get passed for them to be able to care for their patients. They had always been able to do this. It was some change in interpretation by the DEA. And it made a difference. That bill was passed. And not only was it passed, it was passed over reservations being voiced by the DEA. And so it, it was that collective voice that helped push that over the edge. Another example I would give you would be the veterinary medicine loan repayment program. That's a program that exists that we work on to obtain appropriations for. And uh, through the, through our CAN program, if you may CAN program, we started soliciting stories from veterinarians, that had been impacted by the program and not just veterinarians, but communities that had obtained veterinarians that where they would not have otherwise had them, but for this program. And we got those positive stories and then we use those stories back with congressional offices. And by doing that, we've been able to increase
1: the appropriations for that program by 70%. And it sounds like one of the core components to both of those examples is veterinary professionals educating policymakers about these different issues because you know when someone's elected to public office we assume that they must understand the nuance of every issue you know they'll be presented with they got elected maybe that you know that must be the case but it's not the case you know what responsibilities do animal health professionals have to educate policymakers about our issues and how can we be a resource so that they can make informed decisions about our work
2: one of the questions I ask veterinarians when I, when I talk to veterinary audiences is I ask them, if, if you're not gonna educate elected officials on what's good or bad about policies that impact the profession, who is? You know, I, That's not to discount the work that we do. We work extremely hard on their behalf here in Washington DC, but that amplified voice of the profession cannot be, um, the, the importance of that cannot be overstated. And you're right, members of Congress have to work on many different issues at the same time, and, and there's just no way that they're going to be experts on all of them. As I said earlier, veterinarians are very well respected when we're addressing veterinary issues, whether that's animal health and welfare, disease research, or disease you know, outbreaks, or well, other welfare issues, or issues around the practice of veterinary medicine. On those kinds of issues, they're going to stop and listen to us. And we bring a perspective that they're not otherwise going to get. If veterinarians have not done this before, then, then work with your state or association or the AVMA, your local association. You're, you don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to be alone in the process. Helps available, both in terms of the issues that would be good to talk about, uh, talking points and those kinds of things. Um, you know, A veterinarian could go to a town hall. as you said, do they have a responsibility? Well, they have a a huge interest in making sure that these uh, elected officials understand the issues important to us. So go to one of their town halls. You don't have to go when you just have an issue to talk about. Introduce yourself to them and their staff. Hand them your business card. Tell them you want to be a resource for the office. That's how you start to build a relationship. You don't want your first touch point to be that you have a fire burning and you have a big request from them. You want them to know that this is, you know, this is Dr. Smith from down the street. We've seen her 15 times before, those kinds of things. So, you know, do that. Sign up for the newsletter that your legislator has, whether that's state or federal. Participate in fly-in days or legislative
1: days that your associations have. And sign up for the advocacy grassroots tools that we've talked about. On this podcast, we've spoken to members of Congress who are also veterinarians. And they've shared instances in which their background in veterinary medicine has been pivotal to how they've helped to shape government policies. And I'm thinking specifically of COVID-19 and how a zoonotic disease like this can be prevented in the future. Do you recommend that veterinary health professionals get more involved in shaping policies by maybe even running for public service or getting involved in public service or running for public office?
2: Absolutely. The ABA believes that we need more and more veterinarians involved in public service. At the federal level right now, we have one veterinarian in Congress and uh, one member of Congress whose wife is a veterinarian. At the state level, there's about 11 veterinarians that are part of state legislatures. Veterinarians are trained problem solvers. Uh, we, we, We think through issues analytically. We sift through objective and subjective information. We separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. We we diagnose a problem and we figure out a plan to address it. And that kind of analytical perspective is exactly what's needed in legislatures. Um, And so it's, veterinarians can be very, very effective members of legislatures, but they also need to remember that public service is uh, more than just elected office. There are many alternative career paths at both the state and federal level, where veterinarians can have a very positive impact. And just a couple of examples, you know, there are state veterinarians, uh, there are public health veterinarians that work for the USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service, or the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, or the CDC, and we have the Army Veterinary Corps that's actually responsible for a safe food supply for all of our troops, wherever they are around the globe. And so there's quite a number of different ways to have an impact,
1: regardless of your personality or ambitions. No, that's great. So we're here, we're talking at the start of 2021. The United States just had a big election last November and all of the newly elected policymakers have been sworn in. Does AVMA's advocacy work and priorities or strategies change based on which party controls Congress or the White House?
2: I told you I'd say it more than once, and I'll start again by saying, you know, we, we're just absolutely nonpartisan. We, we work with members of Congress who help us advance veterinary priorities, and we work on veterinary issues. And, and we work hard to stay out of the divisive political issues of the day. And that served us really well. It allows us to work at the same time with members of Congress that might be very far apart on political issues. We can, we can be in a hallway and have a meeting in one office, and come out of that office and go down the hallway and go into another office and those two offices may be on the opposite ends of the political spectrum and yet we're welcomed into both of those offices with smiles and hugs often that the veterinarians are here and we want to hear what they have to say and and, and that's a testament to the respect that the profession carries but it's also a testament to how strictly we work to be viewed as nonpartisan. It allows us to be impactful, regardless of the party in power. Um, And we have a long history of working with Republicans and Democrats, whether that's in Congress or the administration, because engagement with both parties is essential. There's an awful lot of work that gets done in Congress that's not reported on the news every night. And they're reporting on the controversial things. And a lot of these other items are never gonna bubble to the top to be on the evening news, but they're really important to our profession. And those kinds of things don't get done in a political vacuum. We can only accomplish those goals by working with both parties in a bipartisan way. And so we spend a lot of time doing that. Um, Now, obviously the, the, the particular issues that can get more traction may vary in one Congress to the next, depending upon the party that's in control, but we're gonna work hard to work with whoever's there.
1: And at the start of a new Congress or presidential administration are there routine ways that you introduce AVMA and veterinary issues to a new batch of elected officials and their staff?
2: Yes, you know, every, every new Congress uh, at the beginning there's a period of time when new members are setting up their offices and hiring staff and it's it's actually a little chaotic for a while. And and we use that time to to reach out to these new offices and the members and their staff. We're going to go by and introduce ourselves to them. Uh, We're going to bring them fact sheets and talk to them about issues that are important to the profession. And even more importantly, we're going to list off the range and variety of issues where we can be a resource for that office. And that's that's the first step in building a relationship. Uh, I talked a minute ago about building a relationship with an individual member of Congress. If if you're a constituent of theirs, the same thing happens with their congressional office. You, you got to get introduced. You don't want to go in when you have a heavy lift for them. You go in and you introduce yourself and you become a resource for them. What happens is over time, they learn that you're going to be honest with them, forthright, that they can trust you, and they can trust you to not only you know talk about uh, your position, to candidly portray opposition positions, and to know that they can really really rely on what you bring to them. And, and that is a, an
1: important strength that the AVMA brings and why we're so respected on the Hill. Are there other legislative issues or trends that you're paying particular attention to, and that we as veterinary health professionals should be paying attention to in the year ahead. We've talked about a couple of, of issues already, and I won't repeat those, but um,
2: you know, things that we know are gonna come up, we know that student debt is a big issue in this country. We know it's a big issue for the veterinary profession. Uh, we, we, we expect this Congress at some point to work on the uh, reauthorization of the Higher Education Act, that's the uh, statute where the uh, all of the student loan programs and everything reside. And when that happens, we will make sure that the veterinary interests are heard. And we'll use that using a, a broad set of principles to guide us. Uh, you know, I won't go through them all, but the kinds of things that would be in there would be uh, addressing the taxation issue on the amount of student loans that are forgiven after the income-based repayment terms, uh, lowering interest rates, so they're not set in above market, uh, you know, looking at eliminating loan origination fees, reinstating some of the direct subsidized loans for professional students, those kinds of things. We'll also continue to work on some of the things the profession has heard from us about in the past. Uh, the prescription mandate bill is one of those. You know, that's that's legislation that would require veterinarians to provide clients with copies of companion animal prescriptions regardless of whether the client wants it and regardless of whether the veterinarian ultimately dispenses the medication. Uh, We've been an outspoken opponent of this legislation because it interferes in the veterinary client patient relationship and has unintended consequences, frankly, Um, and it's an area that's already effectively regulated at the state level. We'll work on appropriations, just examples that include the veterinary medicine loan repayment program that I mentioned before, veterinary services grant program. Food Animal Residue Avoidance Database Program, uh, money for the Horse Protection Act enforcement. We're working with the National Wildlife Health Center modernization. We support efforts for appropriations for research. Those are through things like the Agriculture and Food Research Initiative or the Foreign Animal Disease Programs. And we're about to stand up a very large facility that's called the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility, which will need funding for research on foreign animal diseases and threats Um, And then we also do work on appropriations around the Animal Welfare Act and its enforcement, those kinds of things. We'll work on other animal welfare issues. Horse soaring is one that's been important. And we've worked for a while, we'll continue to work the practice of the soaring of horses. And we'll, we'll work on small business issues. Example of that would be retirement plans. In the last Congress, we successfully worked on a bill that expanded the ability of small businesses to band together to improve their retirement plans, and the the AVMA Trust launched a retirement plan for veterinary practices this past year, and there's opportunities that are coming to improve that. One of the proposals that's out there that, that we think will get traction is to allow an individual that has student debt and perhaps can't put money into a 401k because of that, or an IRA, to pay down their student debt, and yet still have their employer be able to provide them with the matching contribution
1: into their retirement plan. And so that would be a step in the right direction. And those are just a few examples. No, those are great examples. Thank you for sharing those. And thank you for your time. I mean, this has been a really interesting uh, conversation. As we're closing, what are the best ways for veterinary health professionals to stay informed about all these policies we've discussed? that impact their work, and to use their voice to advocate for or against the specific policies?
2: You know, this is going to sound too simple, but the the most important thing is to become involved and and participate in the legislative activities with your state and national association. Volunteer to be on a legislative committee. Participate, as I said, in the the legislative days or fly-ins sign up for the grassroots programs like the AVMA can and and don't just sign up for that sign up for the advocate newsletter we know you're a busy professional we're not going to ask too many demands of your time we're going to we're going to do the parts that are time consuming on our end and then we're going to send out alerts to you where you can be impactful and like i said we're not in the business of wasting your time we're not going to send you an alert that doesn't need to be sent so when you get one, respond to it and, and by all means, personalize it. If you're interested, go to the AVMA.org advocacy. There's more information in there on on issues that are important to the profession. If you want to pick up the phone and call one of us at the AVMA government relations division or state advocacy team, we're quite happy to talk to you. And, and for students, students can look to do an externship in the AVMA's D.C. office. And these are all great ways to be involved. And what I would say is there there are many, many more ways than this to be involved. You just have to have the understanding that what Congress does, what your state legislature does impacts you. And you can either either be part of shaping that or you can let other people do that for you. And we want want the profession to be shaping the, the,
1: the legislation that impacts us. Well, thank you very much, Dr. McClure. This was such a helpful conversation, and I think people who are listening to this will feel far better educated on the issues that impact them and how they can uh, use their voice to have a positive impact on these policies. So I appreciate you joining us.
2: It was my pleasure.
0: Thank you again for listening to this special edition podcast from Vetfolio and NAVC Embrace. And a huge thank you to Dr. McClure for joining us in this discussion about the importance of advocacy and using your voice. As a community, we need your voice to be heard, so together we can make a difference. Please visit navc.com slash embrace to become an advocate and support important issues affecting animal health. As always, visit us on vetfolio.com for all of your veterinary education needs. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.